We are in Genesis, Genesis chapter 18. And I'll start reading again from the beginning, but we've already covered through verse 7. But I'll start reading from Genesis chapter 18, reading from verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth, and he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on, since you have visited your servant And they said, Do as you have said. So Abram hurried into the tent to Sarah, and he said, Quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour. Knead it and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. So last time time we we talked about, about these seven verses, about the hospitality of Abraham we looked at. Abraham's hospitality and how he gave much more. He brought in much more food than three men could eat. You may think, well, the three men had been walking some great distance. That's not what it says. It says they just appeared before him. It wasn't like he saw them walking from far off. They just appeared before him. This is the the sixth appearance of the Lord to Abraham. The fifth appearance, between the fourth and the fifth appearance, was a span of about 23 years. 23 years he went without seeing the Lord. And now, between the fifth and the sixth appearance, it's less than three months. Less than a three-month period. And remember, in the last chapter, he had renamed, God had renamed Sarai, Sarah. And then, we pick up in verse 8, he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared, and he placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. So now he's standing there while they're eating. And it's interesting that he served them curds and milk, milk products, and a calf. That never would happen under the law. Under the law, they don't mix milk and meat. In fact, if you go to Israel today and they're serving meat, they they don't serve milk products. I remember I was in Israel and I asked for coffee and I asked for creamer and they said, oh, no, no, we can't do that. Because they were serving meat. I mean, even in the restaurant, I couldn't get creamer. I could only get artificial powder to, to add in. So... So um, uh, this, is, this is pre-law of Moses. And then verse 9 is where we're going to pick it up. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, There in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was, was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, I shall have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you at this time next year. And Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Okay, so these three men are eating. And as they're eating, 
they start talking to Abraham. Abraham's standing there while they're eating. So the host is not eating, and that was the culture of the time. And if you, if you go in my home, if you were to come over for dinner, many times we'll have guests over, not, not, not the big meals that we have on Sundays for students, but, but I'll have guests over for dinner. And Shireen will be in the kitchen working, and that we'll be sitting at the kitchen table, and, and uh, um, we'll pray, and then Shireen gets up and she's serving more, and people are like, they don't want to start until Shireen sits down. And I'm like, then you're not going to eat. I mean, Shireen is not going to sit down. That's just not her culture. In her culture, she's going to continue to serve. And then when everybody's done, she might get a little dish or something and sit on a stool at the table and eat. And you say that that's, you know, people look at me like, what kind of husband are you? I'm like, look, she's a liberated woman. She does what she wants, all right? I have no say in this at all. This is what she wants to do. This is her culture and how she's going to serve. She won't sit down while people are eating. And even, even when, when it was just us and the kids for dinner, I mean, she'd be standing there the whole time and serving things, and only when everybody was getting done would she sit down and begin to have a little bit. That's just the way she was in, in her culture. That's, that's often the way it was. And, and when I would go to her home uh, um, early on when, when, uh, uh, when we were just engaged, I'd, I'd go to her home and... And uh, she'd always be in the kitchen with her sisters. And she wouldn't come out of the kitchen. And, you, you know, and, and they'd be just looking out at us eating. And she and her sister would, would look out and her sisters would say some things and they'd giggle in their language. They, 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 they'd say something in the language and just giggle and then look out at me again and say something and giggle again. And so they, that was their place. They really enjoyed that. They didn't want to be sitting at the table with everybody. Sarah's not at this table, and you say, well, you know, this is so domineering of Abraham. Look, it's a different culture. She didn't want to be at the table. It's a different culture. She's very comfortable being in the tent, in the kitchen. And it turns out, as these three men are eating, their back is to the tent. And, and we, we see that. Their back is to the tent, and, and they're facing outward, looking over the horizon, and sitting, sitting under the tree there. And Abraham's standing there while they are eating. And, and you may say, well, that was rather rude of them not to invite Abraham to eat with them. No, this was the culture of the time. And, and so in verse 9 it says, They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? So more than one of them was asking about Sarah. Now this is very interesting. It was only a few months ago that Sarah was named Sarah rather than Sarai. Up, up, in, uh, um, and up, up in verse 15 of, of chapter 17, she was renamed Sarah. And ostensibly, these three men were, were unknown to Abraham. But they knew Sarah by name and by her new name that was only a few months old. So these men are not ordinary men who just happened to walk up sojourners that just happened to come forth. And in fact, we had talked about this when he says in verse 3, my Lord. Now, this is this Adonai, but the plural, Adonai, this plural name for, and, and, and calling it a name that's often referred to as God. And so one of the three among them, and then it's referred to this one of the three among them, is even referred to as Jehovah. That is the personal name of God, that Yahweh Jehovah. 
And that's why it, it, it's, it's going to show in, in small capital letters. So, for example, in, in, uh, in verse 13, and then the Lord said to Abraham. So this is this Jehovah. So one of the three among them, two of them, it's believed, were angels. One was, was God coming in, in an expression of, of an of a earthly body. And so, so, but all three of them were, were in this, this, had taken on the form of, of a human being, human beings. Two of them then said, or all three in unison said, where is Sarah your wife? Or, or one said, and then another said, yeah, where's Sarah your wife? So they're asking for Sarah. They know her by name. Now, why would they say this? Do you think that, oh, if this is God, he's like, I lost track of Sarah. Where is she? I mean, got a big purpose for her. She's missing. Who oh, no. No. He knew exactly where she was, but by saying, where is Sarah, your wife, he's now got her attention back in the tent. He's asking about Sarah. So when I sit at my table and I have chemists visiting my table at home, Shireen is in the kitchen working, and when we're talking chemistry, she's just zoned out. She has no interest in the chemical discussions. But if we're talking about food and things like that, she's, she's listening. You know, because th- this is what interests her, cooking and food and things like that. So he's got her attention by saying, where is Sarah, your wife? So she's in the tent and she's perking up and she can, she's just by the tent door. And he said, he, uh, and, 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 uh, and he said, there in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And in fact, at this time next year is at the time of life. In other words, there's going to be a nine-month period now. I'm going to come back, and she's going to have a child. Sarah now hears this because he got her attention by saying, where is Sarah? So she knows these are not ordinary men. They all of a sudden know her name. She's, he, and she's listening and he says, he says, I'm going to come back at this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, remember, it was in chapter 17, just three months earlier, two months earlier, two or three months earlier, that Abraham finds out, he had found out first that he was going to have a son. Then when he thought it was going to be this Eleazar of Damascus, God said, no, from your own body, you're going to have a son. And it wasn't until just two months earlier that God said, no, it's your wife, Sarah, is going to, one, going to be the one to bear to you that son. And not just your wife will bear the son, Sarah, your wife. In other words, very specific, Sarah, your wife, will be the one bearing that son. Now, did Abraham tell Sarah that God had said this a couple months earlier? Maybe not. Maybe he didn't tell her this. It's, a, it's kind of a hard thing to think about this. You know, I'm going to walk up to my 89-year-old wife and to say, oh, <laughs> by the way, you're going to have a son pretty soon. You're going to have a son. I mean, he may not have told her, and we're going to see why he may not have told her here. And, and uh, because she's all of a sudden surprised by this, this really takes her off guard. He says, surely I will return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. So behind the Lord, behind Jehovah, who's sitting there eating with his friends, is the tent door. Sarah sits in that tent door listening. And this is what Shireen and her sisters would do. They'd be in the kitchen, 
and they'd be listening and they'd be giggling about the conversations and the people at the table. And, and, uh, um, and so they, they, they'd be giggling among themselves and they'd do this. And, and, and actually women tend to do this. They really do. Even if, if you come to our lunch on a Sunday and after it's chai time and the ladies are in the kitchen making chai, and they're actually often looking at some of the guys and talking about particularly the new guys, Right? No, yes, I know there was, one day there was a guy visiting, a particular guy that this used to happen with you. doesn't happen anymore, but it used to happen with you. Okay, yes, she confessed to it. So this is not that unusual. And so she's listening, and she hears this, and it says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing, past the manner of women. The Bible makes it clear that she was beyond the age of childbearing. Way beyond the age. In fact, in the New Testament, it says that they were as good as dead. They were as good as dead when it came to childbearing. But God comes, Jehovah, this this man, this visitor, comes with this word. In verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself. She didn't even laugh out loud. Remember, Abraham had laughed when he heard this, but it was, it was not a laugh without faith. Maybe there was a lack of faith because it says, you know, he was wondering. He says, we're going to... She laughed to herself. Abraham had fallen on the ground and laughed. She's just quietly laughing to herself. I mean, this is quite a, a dignified sort of thing. She just laughed to herself like... Nobody even saw her. It says, it says what... It says that uh, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I've become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And I checked this word pleasure, and it's pleasure. So she's saying, After I've become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Shall I have pleasure? So in other words, she's thinking about how her and Abraham are going to work this thing out at this stage in their lives. You know, this is an interesting thing. She's not trying to figure out how her body's going to manage to have a child. She's the, you know, there's, there's something going on here, and I don't know how we're going to do this. And, uh, um, but it was all to herself. She didn't say a word. And then in verse 13, and the Lord, this is Lord, the, the small caps, this is Jehovah. So one of these three now is being referred to as Jehovah. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Look, he reproves Abraham for Sarah's laughter. He knew that Sarah laughed, even though it was behind him and to herself. How did he know? Well, this is what God does. God knows what's in our heart. God knows what's there. So he's able to do this. But he reproves Abraham. He says, why did she laugh? In other words, didn't you tell her what I told you a few months ago? Haven't you prepared your family? Haven't you taught your family? And later on in this chapter, he's going to say, I know Abraham's going to teach his family. He's going to teach his children after him. It was up to Abraham to alert his wife, these things are going to change. Now, I can understand from Abraham's perspective, this is a hard conversation to have. And, and it, was, it had only been a few months, and he might have been thinking, how am I going to work this out? Maybe take her out for dinner some night. And, 
and get her ready so that I can, I can spring this on her. Because if we're out to dinner, she can't, she can't yell at me. You know, you, sometimes you just have to work things out as a man. You can't just, you know, the Lord tells you something, you walk in and say, you know what the Lord said to me? You can't do this. You, you, you gotta, you gotta prepare them for this. And, and wives prepare men for this. They do. Shireen will often prepare me to hear a hard word. She will. She'll wait till I get home. She'll feed me, feed me a nice meal. I'll get done and I'm all relaxed. And then she'll sit down right in front of me and she'll give me, and it was usually, um, one of the children needs your attention. One of your children struggling with something. Because I never saw struggle. You know, for me, there's no struggle. Just do what I tell you to do, you'll be fine. And she has to corner me and, and to say, they need your attention. You need to take your daughter out. You need to take her out. You need to take her out to dinner and listen to her. You know, so she, she trapped me with this. He, he maybe, maybe he didn't know the Lord. You know, it had been 23 years since he had last heard the Lord. He didn't know he was going, the Lord was going to show up in a couple months. But he reproves Abraham. He says, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Again, Jehovah. Is anything too difficult for Jehovah? What we're going to see in this is the faith that was raised in Sarah. God has this amazing care. So for, for people who think the Old Testament was all sexist, God wasn't sexist. God was reaching out to Sarah specifically in the mannerisms of the time. You say, well, he, he appeared to, to, uh, to Abraham. Why didn't he just appear to Sarah? He's appearing to Sarah. With the respect of the times, he's appearing to Sarah. Under the covering of her husband, he's appearing to her. And he's speaking to her with her behind him through the tent fabric. He's speaking to her because he's respecting the times. He's respecting the culture. And so he does this and he speaks to Abraham and then he's speaking to her through this. He says, why should she doubt? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. At this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. That's in verse 14. Very specific. At this time next year, I will return to you and Sarah will have a son. If you go on over to Genesis chapter 21, it talks about the birth of Isaac. It says, Then the Lord, then Jehovah, took note of Sarah as he had said. And the, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Here, Jehovah the Lord, Yahweh, is speaking to Sarah. She's behind him in the tent, observing the structure of the times because he's appearing as a man. He's going to act like a man in accordance with the, with the culture of the times. And he's speaking to her. And he's raising her faith. Her faith is getting raised up. Exactly as I have told you it will happen. Remember, when God says, I will, He says, at the appointed time, I will return to you. When He says, I will, it has to happen. 
Heaven and earth are going to bend down and bow down to make this happen when God says, I will. He says, I will do this at the appointed time. I've told you the time. And at the appointed time, it's going to happen. And Sarah will have a son. Verse 15, Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh. So she's still behind him in the tent. And she says, I didn't laugh. For she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. No, but you did laugh. You know, when we, when we lack faith, when we lack faith, we tend to fall into other sins. She lacked faith, and she slipped into a lie. Because this is a real lie. She did laugh. God points it. no, you did laugh. Now, he didn't make a big deal out of it. He didn't belabor it. He didn't say, oh, you just told a lie just for that. Forget it. You're not getting it. I'm going to visit some other lady. We'll bring some other Sarah to fulfill this. No. I mean, he deals with us where we're at. But he actually raised her faith. And how do we know? Well, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. The beautiful thing is we have the New Testament. The New Testament is a commentary often on the Old Testament. And when you read commentaries that are written by men, you often wonder, wow, this is a great explanation, but is it right? You know, this guy has some great insight, but is it really right? It was like when, when I took English classes, I could never figure out, you know, the depth of the story. You know, they wanted you to read some, something and you had to figure out all these pieces in it. And I could never get it. And so I learned, this was back in the old days before there was the internet or anything. I used to have to go to the library and look up these, these works and make sure I, I knew it so that when I went to class I could comment because I had read the commentaries by people who knew what they were doing because I never saw the subtleties there. Same thing happens in the Bible. You, read, you might read a commentary, you wonder if is it right. But when you read the New Testament comment, commenting on the Old Testament, you know they got it right because this is the Word of God. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, it says, By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. You see, after this event, God raised her faith, and she received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. The New Testament brings up Sarah and says, no, she conceived because she had faith. She received ability to conceive through her faith even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Very promise that God gave him. That's how many offspring he was going to have. So you see that Sarah's faith was raised after this event. She heard a man speak and her faith was raised. Very often you will hear somebody speak or you'll hear the Word of God and your faith is raised. That's a beautiful thing about the Word of God. Our faith gets raised as we read the Word of God. That's the important thing about being in fellowship. We're around other people. It raises our faith. You try to deal with the Lord alone and just walk this walk alone. We were never meant to be alone. We were meant to be within the body of Christ and surrounded by people that raise our faith. When you hear the Word of God preached, it raises our faith. When you see people excited about the Lord, it raises our faith. You're like, wow, there's somebody who really believes that. 
And it makes me believe it all the more. I love to be around people that passionately believe that every book, every word in this book is true. Because it makes me believe it all the more. The antithesis of that is, uh, is in, in, uh, we'll read a, a couple verses for, for, for the, for the, for the, that show just the opposite of this. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, it says, But Jesus answered them, saying, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures, not understanding the scriptures, nor the power of God. This is the Sadducees that come to him and ask him a question. Sadducees, Two-thirds of the Sanhedrin was Sadducees. Only one-third was Pharisees. Sadducees controlled the entire temple compound. And uh, um, uh, Jesus said to them in Matthew 22, 29, He answered, He said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures nor the power of God. When people do not understand the Scriptures, nor do they embrace the power of God, they're clearly mistaken in so many ways. And it's better not even to be around such people because they will suck whatever little faith you have that suck it right out of you. And, the, and it tells us that also in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 says, Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. That's in 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. We are to avoid people who hold to a form of godliness and say, Hey, I'm Christian although they deny its power. You don't want to be around people that deny the power of God. We think that, well, that's just a historical book, you know. For us today, we've got to kind of work these things out by ourselves. Don't be around those people. Whatever little faith you have will be drawn out of you. The Bible says specifically, avoid such men as these. Avoid them. Stay away from them. I don't want to be around those sorts of people. When you're around negative people, it just pulls you down. I've had students who worked in my lab that you just can't get them to the point of believing anything good's going to happen. And they, everything they do, they're like, no, it's not going to work. I'm like, you'll never get it to work. If you don't believe this stuff can work, you'll never get it to work. And, you know, year after year, you, you, they're like this. And I'm like, I just want to get you graduated. You just go. Just go. I don't want to even be around you. Just, just too negative. Let's turn over to, to Romans. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna just wrap up this whole thing in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans chapter 4, it's talking again about Abraham. Here's another commentary on Abraham. In Romans chapter 4, we're gonna start reading at verse 16. It's a beautiful commentary on Abraham. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God. So, it says, for this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace. God is the one who gives faith. Pray that your faith is raised. That is the beautiful thing about meditating daily on the Scriptures. It raises your faith. Without being in the Scriptures, your faith will become very weak. Your faith is raised through grace. God is the one who gives grace. So if you think, oh, I have great faith. No, whatever faith you have has been given by God. There's nothing in yourself. If it were up to you, you'd have zero faith. You'd have negative faith. 
so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants. There's a guarantee of a promise. Not only to those who are of the law, that's law with a capital L, meaning not only to the Jews, this is to the Gentiles, this is to everybody, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. As soon as the Bible speaks about nations, it means it goes beyond Israel. It goes to the Gentile world. In the presence of Him whom we, whom He believed. In the presence of Him whom He believed, even God. Now listen to this portion. This is beautiful. Even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. God gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Wow! That's the God I want to be around. He gives life to the dead and He calls into being that which does not exist. I've seen this in my career. I remember when I was starting out my career, I was thinking, Lord, am I ever going to accomplish anything? Lord, two of these great works, you do it. I have no idea. And God calls into being that which does not exist. It doesn't even exist. God, He just calls it into being. He calls into being that which does not exist. This is contra-thermodynamics. I mean, this is amazing. God lives outside of space and time. He's amazing. He calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed. That's referring to Abraham. In hope against hope, he believed. So that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. He looked at his own body. He's like, for me? A hundred years old. For me? Sarah's 90 years old. From her? After he had looked at their bodies, he contemplated his own body, but it didn't weaken his faith. He just held on to the Lord. People will say, don't think about that. That's a negative thought. Abraham looked at his body and even thought about it. But he said, God's going to do something in spite of that. In spite of that weakness, God's going to do it. Yeah, I've got all sorts of weaknesses and insecurities and low self-esteem. In spite of that, God will use me. He contemplated his own body. And him as good as said, since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. When you see the first time God told him this, when the first time God told him that you're, you're, you're going to have a child, he said, he said okay, through Ishmael, let it, let it happen. He said, no. <laughs> so there was some little unbelief, and God told him it's going to be through Sarah. I mean, the guy fell down laughing. But it says he grew strong in faith in verse 20. He grew strong in faith. You don't be born strong in faith. You don't start out strong in faith. You grow strong in faith. You attain to a strength in faith. That through your insecurities, in spite of your insecurities, in spite of your low self-esteem, you grow strong in faith. It's a growth process. 23 years he went without hearing the Lord. 25 years since he had been in the land before he had his son. 
His whole life, he never owned any land except that little burial plot which he bought. But God gave him a promise. And even he went to death not owning the land himself. But God gave him a promise because he knew there's life after death. God was going to fulfill it. He grew in faith. 25-year process before he had his son. How long have you waited for the Lord to answer? 25 minutes and we get impatient? He says It says that he grew in his faith. Verse 21. Let me read verse 20 again. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured, fully assured, that what God had promised, He was able to perform. What God has promised, He is able to perform. What God has promised, He is able to perform. You're just starting your careers. I remember that time very well. I, was, I, I wanted so much to be successful. And I have a career where I could glorify God and do great things. And I'll tell you, He's, he's done more than I could have ever asked or thought. He went way beyond my expectations. He says, being fully assured what God had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. It was credited to him. What is righteousness? God says, add to his account righteousness. That faith was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, verse 24, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. When we believe that Jesus has physically raised from the dead, that is credited as righteousness. He puts righteousness in our account. When we believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, the understanding that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions, meaning because I'm a sinner, Jesus died. Jesus died on the cross because I am a sinner. And that is the message to us. Jesus dies on the cross for us because we are sinners. He was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Because He was raised, we are justified. Because Jesus died and rose from the grave, we are justified before God. That is the message of the gospel. And that's why God tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that we are to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that He's risen from the dead and you shall be saved. That is why I keep pushing this on you. Because it's the truth. It is the truth. That Jesus has died for our sins and He's risen from the dead. And it, it is by this mechanism we are saved. This is the way we are saved. That He died because, of, because I'm a sinner. He died because you are a sinner. Jesus died for you. And then He's risen from the dead for our justification. When He was raised, He took us up with Him. And it's when we believe that He's risen from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we are saved. I call you this day. If you do not know the Lord, come to the Lord this day. Don't wait any longer. Don't wait any longer. Let this be credited to your account as righteousness. Come to the Lord Jesus this day. 
And if you're a believer, I say, take hold of faith. Let the Word of God raise your faith. Be around people that raise your faith. Stay away from people that pull down your faith. Just avoid men like that. People that, that, that will just draw your faith out of you. Men who, who, who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. And as Jesus said of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the Sadducees, you don't understand the Scriptures and you don't understand the power of God. The power of God who is able to call forth life from something that doesn't exist. He brings it into existence and He calls forth life. That's what He can do upon you. Think about your situation, where you are. No matter what you are going through, He can call forth life from your situation. He calls forth life. He is the God who brings things, calls forth things into existence, things that do not exist. He calls them forth. Let's pray. O oh Lord Jesus, the power of God, blessed be your name. It's because of you, Lord Jesus. You sat there in front of that tent of Abraham and you said, Sarah will have a son at this time next year. I will do it. And it happened. Thank you, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, for the believers here that they would learn to walk in faith, that you would raise up their faith as you did with Sarah, that you'd raise up their faith, that they would learn to take hold of the Scriptures and believe every word in this book. Because it is true. You wrote what is true. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I pray, especially this day, for the unbelievers who are here. Lord, save their souls, I pray. Draw them to Jesus Christ, I pray. Save their souls. I pray that they would pray with me this day. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. I believe Jesus has risen from the dead. And that, Lord, you would save them this day. Thank you, Lord God, for your mercies. Glory be to Jesus. It's because of Jesus, because of you, Lord Jesus, your death, because of your resurrection, we live. Everything is because of you. If there be anything good, it is because of our Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be the name of God. The greatest name is Jesus. And in your name I commit this. Amen.